The Behavioral Corner is produced in cooperation with Retreat Behavioral Health, where healing happens. Hi and welcome, I'm Steve Martorano and this is The Behavioral Corner. You're invited to hang with us as we discuss the ways we live today, the choices we make, the things we do, and how they affect our health and well-being. So you're on the corner, the behavioral corner. Please, hang around a while. Hi, guys. I should say ahoy, because we got a nautical uh, theme for you on the behavioral corner. We welcome you all in. We hope you found us by now and are enjoying what you hear. We are a podcast that we like to say is about everything, because everything winds up affecting our behavioral health. So uh, settle in. Uh, we've got a... We've got an interesting topic here, way off the beaten path for us, but I think there's a lesson to be learned in here about um, setting a goal, uh, sort of achieving it, and then uh, having it uh, somehow taken away and how that, how you deal with something like that. Our guest from his work site, I suppose in North Carolina, is uh, Ashley Blue. Uh, Ashley is a, um, a professional fisherman. He's a sports fisherman. Uh, he's he described himself in the New York Times recently as a uh, down east redneck uh, or a good old boy, as, as as I like to think about it. So, And he's got a great story to tell. He has a fish story. Now, I'm not a fisherman, but I know a good fish story when I hear one. And generally speaking, most cases, fish stories are about, wow, let me tell you about the one that got away, the fish that got away. Well, this is about something getting away, but it wasn't the fish. It was something uh, pretty significant. And I think there's a lesson to learn about how these guys dealt with all this. Uh, Ashley Blue, thanks for joining us on the Behavioral Corner. Thank you for having me. Well, it's a pleasure. I I, I love this. Uh, I love this story. Didn't like the way it turned out, but we'll find out more about that. Tell us a little bit about yourself. You grew up near the water. Uh, so I guess it's always been a pull for you, right? Yes, sir. I grew up in Newburn, North Carolina, which is about 30 minutes west of Moorhead City, where we, we actually had the fishing tournament. We didn't grow up going to um, Disney World or uh, that. Money was kind of limited. My mom was worked at, uh, as a produce manager at the local uh, grocery store and a substitute teacher. My dad sold fertilizer, so we, we knew all about peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and um we would always go down to my grandfather's fishing camp down on Bogue Sound growing up. And um, our end of the vacation time was always spent going to the Moorhead City waterfront and eating at the sanitary and walking up and down the, the waterfront, looking at all those charter boats and the big, beautiful boats and the reels and everything. And I'd always told my dad uh, one day I'd, I'd love to own one of those. I'm going to own one, dad. And he popped me in the back of the head and said, I hope you do one day. And so um, I was lucky enough last March to be able to buy the sensation and kind of fulfill a bucket list and a dream that I've always had. So um, uh, that's kind of what's brought me to where I'm at now. Yep. Shows you the virtues of um, peanut butter sandwiches, that's for sure. And having a dream. I'm sure when your dad hit you in the back of the head and said, I wish you the best, he wasn't betting you were going to do it, was he? That's right. Um, he he always saw, and we always talked about on the on the ride back of how how somebody could have possibly afford one of those boats, and I, I just it was mind blowing not only to, to me but to him as well. And so he was from originally from West Virginia. My mom was from Huntington, and my dad was from Charleston, 
two separate hollers so everybody knows that the family tree does fork. <laughs> so, I, I hear you. you know. I hear you. For people who know way more about this than I do, describe the sensation for us, the size of it, and what, what it's uh, primarily used for, what type of fishing. The sensation was Randy Ramsey's first boat he built for himself for his own charter boat business. It's a 52-foot Jarrett Bay, and if anybody knows anything about Jarrett Bay, they build the eight, 10, $20 million sport fishing boats. And it was the very first one ever built. It started the company. And uh, now it's uh, one of the biggest, most prestigious sports fisherman boat that's built. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it, I just, just an honor to be a chapter in that book of the, the history of that boat. It's a single screw, meaning it only has one engine, which is not something that's normal for most sport fishing boats they're normally twin screwed twin engined and it, it's like driving a skid steer where you can w- use one motor to overpower the other one to turn even if you lose steering well this boat is only single screw so when you back it up it pulls to your port side and uh so it's it takes a little bit more understanding to, to drive the boat it's it's definitely a living museum yeah, and I, I suppose even I can understand that that would make uh, battling a four or five hundred pound fish even more uh, difficult if you've only got that one engine and it only pulls in yes. one direction, right? So the sensation, by the way, uh, ultimately resulted in your company, the Sensation Sports Fishing Company. You take people out, right, on excursions for big time fishing. Yes, sir. We uh, we are a charter boat. Um... We don't have all the frills and spills of most of the other boats. We operate off of raw data that we get from our depth finder and the expertise of our captain and our mate. In this day and time, a lot of the sport fishing boats have omni sonars where they can see basically a a three or five mile swath of the water and see what fish are there. And almost like a video game, lock on to them and and basically just keep driving over top of them until they raise them up. We look at currents, water temperature, articles that are actually in the water, rips in the water, currents, uh, ledges, and all that stuff. So we're mm-hmm. it's basically like competing with the Mayflower versus uh, some of the big cargo ships these days. So <laughs> right, well, you guys are old school, that's for sure. And to uh, just to put a fine point on this, the tournament we're going to talk about that you guys uh, hold in the biggest fish uh, attracts big time sports fishermen and people you might not expect to be involved in this. I'm thinking of Michael Jordan. You guys competed against Michael Jordan's boat. We sure did. Uh, his is the catch 23, a beautiful, uh, Viking, uh, very plush and, and sleek and, and a pleasure to look at. And, uh, we also competed against Terry Labonte, which is a NASCAR race car driver. And he's, uh, got the boat switching gears and, we competed against the world's best fishermen. I mean, they come from uh, Los Sueños, Costa Rica, from the Dominican, from Texas, Alabama, all the way up to Delaware, Maryland. They all come to Moorhead City to fish this tournament because it's known as a rodeo tournament. Uh, you've got two different types of tournaments. Basically, you got the real strict ones, which are the IGFA, the International uh, Game Fish Association sanctioned where you're not allowed to switch anglers. You can only use certain tackle. Well, 
the Big Rock is a rodeo tournament. They only operate on their own rules, except for the rule that affected us, which was yeah. the mutilation rule. And uh, they uh, they don't even reference it in full language. They just arbitrarily send you to another book to hopefully decipher through it. And that's where a lot of the, um, the, the protest was based on to be able to make sure due diligence was taken. I mean, it was a $3.5 million prize and a 619.4 pound fish, which was the 14th largest fish ever caught in that 65-year-old tournament. They averaged between 8 and 10 fish being landed per year. So to have the 14th biggest one out of 650 fish landed, uh, it's pretty substantial. It's a a time that I'll never forget. It's clear, even for me, who I have practically no knowledge of this, except what I've seen on television, you down East guys were the hometown favorites, right? We're just one of a few. I mean, we've got a whole waterfront of wonderful fishermen. Uh, we are just, uh, it, it's more of a, a very supportive network. We've, the Morehead City waterfront has about 12 boats. Uh, not all of them were fishing in the tournament for one reason or another, but predominantly from the bill collector to do South to buy out, uh, real country, dancing outlaw. They're pretty much our dock mates and, and mm-hmm. we fish with them every day. Basically they, they're charter boats just like we are. And, uh, so we communicate and it's almost like a brotherhood. I mean, everybody's got brothers that they don't get along with and brothers that they do. And we pretty much everybody, for the most part, if somebody needs something, we look out for each other. And so to say we're a down East boat, we were built down East. We are we operate on a daily basis down east, but not everybody that's on that waterfront is from down east. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it kind of works together to be able to have people that you can rely on, and it's a great feeling. And the tournament, the actual weigh-in slip is about, I don't know, six slips down from our slip. So, I mean, we every morning we, we see the Big Rock landing every morning before we go offshore. And so to be able to be a boat that got to participate in backing in that slip, there isn't but a select few of right. us that have been able to achieve that. Because a lot of people come back empty-handed, correct? Yes, sir. A yeah. lot. This Big Rock uh, Blue Marlin tournament, you described to the media as the Super Bowl. It's just, it doesn't get any bigger in terms of sports fishing. And I'm going to get into a little bit about what happened to you guys. But first, this great description of the brotherhood and how it brings people together. Can you talk a little bit about uh, what goes through well your mind or any sports fisherman when they go out and uh, drop the line and then a, a big fish strikes? What's what's that feeling like? Well, um, it, it's an adrenaline rush. It's um, it's obviously a man versus beast type uh, adrenaline rush where you are sitting there with anxiety of Hey, when is this going to happen? I hope it's going to happen. And oh my goodness, it's happening. And um, how to react. And the only thing that can help you through that type of situation is repetitive motion and, and dealing with it day in and day out. Because um, honestly, the first time it happened to me, I didn't know whether to, to scratch my watch or wind my rear end as far as uh, a lot of things. It just, a lot of things moving at one time. And, uh, but when it, happens uh, time over time you, you become a uh it's a fundamental 
reaction and um uh, like when you see the fish hit whoever grabs the rod first to go ahead and eat, whether we're circle hook fishing or j hook fishing to to make sure that the hook's set and and it's you're fighting the fish then everybody else works uh simultaneously to be able to reel in all the other lines so that the lines don't get clogged up and then once we get everything aboard for the captain to do his job and start working the boat and maneuvering the boat so that the angler can have the best opportunity to reel the fish in. So uh, it, it's exciting. It's uh, every time you know, it never ends up a dull moment. So you, you never get accustomed to that feeling, but to be able to know what to do at the right time, it's super gratifying. Yeah. To too many people, I think even big time fishing that they've witnessed, but not participated in, or dropping a line on the edge of a creek or something. It looks like luck. Right. You know, it's like, okay, let's drop it here. The fish bites it and we haul it in, or maybe we don't. There's a lot of moving parts. You just described an enormously complicated process that just must take an enormous amount, as you said, practice and repetition, but also concentration. There's not a lot of fooling around when a big one strikes, right? No, it's... uh. It's like carpe diem. You need to seize the day when it, the opportunity presents itself. You need to be ready to to step forward and, and make the most of the opportunity. Our guest is uh, Ashley Blue. He is the uh, owner and operator of the Sensation, uh, and the Sensation is um, the, the boat that uh, makes up his uh, sport fishing company. So that all being said, let's put you in that tournament. Um, the rules of which are complicated. I don't want to get into too many of them, but it has to do with the size of the fish. It has to be at least, what, 400 pounds? Is that what it was? Yes. In order to boat the fish, it needs to be uh, at least 400 pounds. And so otherwise you'll get disqualified and uh, more than likely deal with uh, NOAA, which is uh, the federal government on, on improperly landing fish but yes at least 400 pounds and we have certain criteria that they give us to work off of length and then multiply times girth gives us a roundabout a very conservative approach to the weight of the fish yeah and so um the rules are you you uh hook the fish uh fight for as long as it takes and then boat him as you say so you can bring him back in so that he can be examined and uh, it can be determined just exactly what you have caught um, boy, this I'm gonna I'll get into this a little later, but maybe the greatest book about fishing ever written was Hemingway's The Old Man in the Sea, and I'm thinking about that right now, and I'll get to it in a little bit. But f- because of what happened to you guys when you struck that fish, that fish struck. Well, you were on the boat when the fish was caught, right? Oh yes, you've got a time limit from uh, nine o'clock to three o'clock to actually. You can't have your lines in before nine. You can't have your lines in after three o'clock. And so we had um, fished the whole week. The whole week, it was really, really snotty. My, my captain calls it hobbly gobbly. But uh, it was the first day we were four to six foot swells stacking up to eight to ten foot. And um, we had a crew on the boat, of a charter that was made up of six people that weren't necessarily seasoned fishermen but four of them spent their whole day looking pretty green and and you know um chumming basically for us um we didn't catch anything the first day we didn't catch anything the second day we laid which means we took the two days off 
for the next two days for because the weather kind of subsided a little bit. And then we fished the last two days, which was a Friday and Saturday. So the Saturday that we, we caught the fish, uh, we had fished all day, didn't catch anything. I mean, searched all, all our tricks that we could. Basically went back to an area that we had fished charter boat fishing um, and ended up hooking into uh, lines went off and we called it into the, the big rock and said, you know, sensations hooked up because we have to tell them what time we hooked up so they can document it. Uh, by the time we reeled it in, cleared all the lines, reeled everything in, it was a barracuda. It was about a 30-pound barracuda, and so it was the wrong species. So with a little bit of egg on her face, we had to call in and say, sensation, uh, wrong species, which means that we weren't hooked up, we did not have a billfish, and we had to let it go. So that was at 2.15, and, and the, or probably about 2.08. We had to put the lines back out. We run about nine different lines, plus teasers, plus dredges. And um, so we all kind of settled in, realizing the last 45 minutes of the tournament, you know, we'd had a pretty depressing showing between uh, the other days we fished. This is a tournament that you spend $52,500 to enter. So it's not like you just put a couple hundred bucks down and let's go out and see what we can catch. Um the temperament of the crowd was, was pretty bleak. And then, uh, so we all kind of settled in to, for the last 45 minutes. And, uh, at two fifteen, this monster Marlin jumps from left to right and crashes on our port side short, which is, um, a line that as you go up the, the outriggers, you've got your port long, which is the longest one back is at the top of the, the rigger. Then you got your next one, which is your port short, which sits a little bit shorter, closer to the boat. And then you've got your teaser. So when he crashed on that port short, I got a full broadside view of that fish totally aired out, out of the water. And he bit that lure and he hauled boogie away from the boat. You could almost hear him grunting. It was like a, a horse running through a, a field of rah, 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 rah. And you'd see him and just splashing and everything. And, um, what was going through your mind at that moment? Oh my God. It was, um, I looked like a one arm paper hanger trying to reel in teasers, reel in rods, give direction to the guys down below to go ahead and, uh, start pulling stuff in. Cause I knew what we had when he hit and, uh, we got, I got everybody motivated and up. I mean, it was just a, a blur, but we were, we got everything in captain Greg McCoy, my captain did everything he was supposed to. And, uh, and back in the boat down, Scooter, my, my mate, was down in the cockpit. He was clearing lines and working through, you know, the situation at hand and um, preparing the angler, um, Bailey Gore, to be able to reel it in, getting him all strapped in. Because when you're hooked to a 600-pound fish and you're only a 200-pound man, that fish can easily pull you overboard. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. We got everything going. Next thing we know, we're, we're backing down. We're seeing it, the fish go from uh, right to left and then left to right, come back at us, charge back away. Did that about three times. And each time you're having to maneuver the seat so that you keep the angler in line with the, the fish. And so after about an hour and a half of that, the fish ran away from us one last time and then dove deep. Normally these fish stay on top, but when they have exhausted that much energy to the point that they, they dive deep, they're basically going to die. 
They are not, they, whether they know it or not, I don't know, but that's what ends up happening. And they go deep. And then the pressure of going from on top down 900 feet deep, their heart ends up exploding. Hmm. And so when they go down there, it is, the, the fight is basically over. Then it's just a matter of retrieving the body. And so when that fish went down 900 feet deep, which is 150 fathoms, a fathom six feet, from that point forward, it was just a matter of winching him up. And Bailey Gore, he, um, he fought him the whole time, and then he, he basically was just whooped. And uh, so we went through all six anglers, which each one of them basically gave it everything that they had. Then finally – I said, look, guys, if you want me to, I'll get down out of the bridge and, and I'll bring him up. And so that's what I did. And as I was fighting him up from retrieving the body from down below, it was basically four to six inches every crank, you know, having to take one hand, pull on the on the cable, the other hand turn the reel. And in, in stepping back, because you use your, your legs to because you're in a bucket harness to pull it back, mm-hmm. I pushed down so hard on the chair that the foot portion of the chair broke in half i mean it, it hit the, the bar that holds it in place broke so then i ended up putting my feet up against the transom and trying to work back and forth and then the back of the chair fell out so then we had to i had to waddle over to the side of the gunnel in order with this big rod i'm latched to and this 600 pound fish you know i'm trying to bring up that's wanting to sink and I managed to get it into the gunnel. And then from that point forward, it was the next four hours of just four inches at a time. Wow. Anything that I could get. And so we were trying to even rock the boat from side to side to get some kind of lift on him. We we tried a couple maneuvers of turning the boat around in, in a circle going into the current to hopefully float the body up kind of as a planer to get some lift on it and we ended up losing more line than we than we gained so it was just man versus beast wow. and winching up a 619 pound fish from the bottom of the ocean that sounds like by the way half the battle is just bringing the as you say the body aboard doesn't sound you know once you get the fish that's only part of it start to finish how long does it take you to get the, the fish on the boat Six and a half hours. Six and a half hours. When you you know throughout that entire process, you've got a big fish. Uh, when you finally, you know, get the fish on the boat, are you convinced you've won this tournament? Yes, sir. One hundred ten percent. What the fish? What the fish weigh? Uh, according to the chart, it was one hundred fourteen inches long, and it was uh, fifty four inches around in girth. The chart said it was 603 pounds. 603 pounds. Okay, so now you're how far away from where you're going to dock? How long did it take you to get back in? We're 70 miles offshore. It took us a little over three hours to get back to shore. Safe to say the three-hour ride back was a party, right? There wasn't a cold beer left on the boat. <laughs> but in addition to this titanic struggle, man against beast, that takes six hours, there's a lot of money. Your guys that put together, you put together a syndicate, you sold shares in this effort to raise the money to get in. People were going to make some money. You were looking at like your end, as I understand it, was over $300,000, right? About three hundred fifty grand, yes, sir. Yeah, yeah. It's a big tournament. And you beat 
Michael Jordan, which is unbelievable. He doesn't get beaten by anybody. Anyway, you bring the boat in, party, party. Word is already spread that the sensation's coming in with the fish that's probably going to win this thing. And the local people are probably having fun as well. Your brother's in fishing. You get in and then fate steps in. And that's why we reached out to you because it's the way you handled this. Why were you disqualified? Um, was disqualified because uh, their rule 23 dealing with mutilation, they refer to the IGFA rules, which is the only rule that they adhere by with respect to IGFA. And it says that if it comes encounter with a propeller or another marine animal, a shark, a you know, any type of imperfections to the fish, it will be disqualified. It's basically to figure for mutilation. The thought behind the, the rule, which I will never agree with, not just because I lost because of it, but because it, the rule is impractical, is basically, you know, you're driving out there and you see a fish that's been bit by a shark and you, you go ahead and land it. And uh, then you say the fish is a grander and it's it's been bit by a shark and you didn't really fight it. Um, you take it in there and you win the tournament. You didn't fight. Or you hook up with a fish and all of a sudden a shark comes up and bites the tail off of it and the fish is no longer able to fight. You're yep. able to reel it in with relative ease. Okay. None of this occurred. And so that's where our biggest stick in the whole matter was, was um, the biologist identified when we brought it ashore that it had come encounter with some marine animal and had a superficial and i say superficial it was like skinning your knee place on it in between the anal fin and the tail fin about the size of your fist but only about an inch deep so it didn't even bleed yeah you know what's um, amazing about that, that that you should be i understand the rule which means it's got to be a fair fight if the fish is injured it wasn't a fair fight but any fish that takes six six hours to get on a boat and weighs 600 pounds, uh, I don't care how much it was bitten. It gave a hell of a fight. Anyway, you get in thinking you won. You did have the biggest fish. That wasn't even a uh, consideration. But you're disqualified and you get no money at all for your effort? That's correct. <laughs> That's incredible. How... Tell me about the feeling that you guys had. It must have been a deflating moment. Well, um, there's all kinds of emotion. I mean, we're, we're riding back into um, Moorhead City Waterfront, and you've got 12,000 people out there hanging off of every one of the boats, bars, the Big Rock Landing, people on top of the roof. People had been out there for nine hours waiting for us to come in, friends, family, competitors. Everybody wants to see a big fish. Right. And uh, we go to back in on Big Rock Landing and you got fire engines out there blowing their horns. You got people screaming. <laughs> and uh, I mean, it was the ultimate high you've ever could ever experience. And then in a matter of five to 10 minutes being docked, the guy's telling me that they're going to disqualify the fish. So anyway, that's just a, a horrible situation. Um, everyone's uh, crushed. Um, how did it resolve itself? Because this is the key here to why we're talking to you on the corner. You guys handled this. Uh, you handled it, certainly, in a uh, incredibly uh, measured way. I mean, at first you fought it, but ultimately you have withdrawn your uh, 
your objection to the ruling. Why did you do that? Well, um, in a nutshell, I mean, there's there's battles that you can fight and win, and there's battles that you can fight and you look back and wish you hadn't. And this was definitely a battle I wish I had never been, I'm not going to say never been a part of, but uh, you made a strategic and graceful withdrawal. You knew you couldn't win this hand. What was going to end up happening, we had about a about a 10% chance that we were going to win it uh, as far as in the court of law. And we recognized that ultimately the legacy of sensation, I didn't want it to be of creating harm on something that's an economic engine for a community that I truly respect. And I would rather take this opportunity to bring some awareness to some things that obviously need change, not necessarily for my fish, but for other people's. And so, as my dad always said, try to make lemonade out of lemons. Yeah. And again, uh, here on the Behavioral Corner, we talk about the way people behave and decisions they make and how it affects them, you know, psychologically and emotionally and all of that. And I don't, I'm not blowing a lot of smoke at you. What you did was you took something that could have been about you uh, and about your syndicate and about prize money, and you put it to one side and said, no, nah, I don't, I don't want to sully this thing I love and that's important to my community. I'm just going to stand down and fish another day. You know, good for you. Not a lot of people uh, currently I look at around the world uh, are willing to admit when they've been defeated, when they can't win this hand, and they can, uh, in your case, fish another day. So uh, good for you. It's an inspiring story. It really is. I know you would have much rather gotten the money and uh, acknowledgement, but everybody down there I know knows who caught the largest fish that day. And, uh, you know, as I said, it should be a lesson for all of us. I mentioned earlier, I'm going to let you get back to work, uh, the uh, Hemingway, the great Hemingway novel, The Old Man in the Sea. And if you know the story, the old man goes out alone. He's tired. He's been fishing his entire life, but he he's just like Ashley and his friends. He loves the sea. He He loves the struggle. He catches the fish of his life, which is coming to an end because he's very old. It's a gigantic fish that is on the way back in, tethered to the side of his little skift, uh, mutilated and eaten almost beyond recognition by sharks. So the fish is kind of gone except for the skeletons of it. And the old man is spent. But at some point, and here's the quote I want to share with you, uh, Ashley, I don't know if you've, you know it, but in the book, the old man says, but man is not made for defeat, he said. A man can be destroyed, but not defeated. And I take that to mean, you know, fight another day. I wasn't defeated. I am disappointed. I don't have the fish there anymore. But he goes on from there to make the greater point. You remind me of that old guy. Well, thank you. I consider that to be in great company with some great people. And uh, I just I hope it is an inspiration for others and, and it can benefit others. It's, life's not always about the money. Yep. It's also about grace. Another thing Hemingway said in another context is courage is grace under pressure. And you showed grace, not, you know, you showed power and skill in landing that fish, but you showed grace in how you handled the the, uh, disappointment of not getting the prize money. So you have our congratulations. Ashley Blue, 
of sensation sports fishing in uh, North Carolina. Ashley, have you heard from Hollywood yet? Uh, no, sir, but uh, I think people like John Candy and Chris Farley are already passed, so I don't know if they'll be able to find an actor to play a role in this skit. <laughs> no, it's good. It's going to make it, it in the right hands. It'll make a hell of a movie. They'll come up somebody to play it. Oh, you play yourself. You look like you could probably handle it. Thanks so oh. much for your time. I know you're busy. Again, congratulations. We all know who, who had the biggest uh, fish in that tournament, and I'm sure you're going to be out there again. First chance you get in the in that big uh, Super Bowl of fishing. Well, if you don't mind, I'd like to give a shout out to my daughter, which has also tried to make this uh, a huge pot of lemonade out of lemons. Is she has uh, developed T-shirts and they're on the Sensation website, www.sensationsportfishing.com, or on our Facebook page, and uh, that say the People's Champ. And we've had an, a huge outpouring of of people supporting us and willing to wear the shirts, and you know, it just that gives me the greatest satisfaction that once again, I can teach my daughter a little bit about Cooth, a little bit about, you know, life is always going to send you challenges and it's how you deal with them. So it's going to define you. So excellent. We'll have links to both of those sites so people can see uh, the t-shirts and the Facebook and all of that. Ashley blue. Thanks so much, man. I'll let you get back to work. Good luck uh, uh, going forward. I, I hope you catch a lot of fish. Thank you for this great opportunity. Have a good one. Our pleasure. Bye-bye. And to body all as well, um, don't forget to uh, follow us, like us, uh, give us a review on uh, on uh, iTunes. We we appreciate it. The Behavioral Corner, made possible, by the way, with our underwriting partners, Retreat Behavioral Health. We have more for you straight ahead. Retreat Behavioral Health has proudly been serving the community for over 10 years. Here at Retreat, we believe in the power of connection and quality care. We offer comprehensive, holistic, and compassionate treatment from industry-leading experts. Call 855-802-6600 or visit us at www.retreatbehavioralhealth.com to begin your journey today. That's it for now. And make us a habit, hanging out at the Behavioral Corner. And when we're not hanging, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. On the Behavioral Corner.